It's always a privilege and honour to share with you. I've done it for a long time now, but don't take it for granted. So here's some of my reflections. I, I guess I wrote, tried to attempt, I think about four years ago, to try and just capture, as a church, what makes us, us. That, this was my attempt. Some people are really good at just nailing it down with a few words, but that's not me so much. There's a few more words than a few, but, but I, I tried to just capture some sentences. And as a church leader, I've never done like a, a vision Sunday. It just isn't the way I'm wired a little bit. Our vision come from our values. So I guess these are some of the values that on, on my reflections and prayerfully over the years to try and distill it down because I think every church believes that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, just about every church believes the authority of the scriptures uh, and that type of thing. So it's not the general stuff that Christians believe, but what makes Eagle's Nest Eagle's Nest? And here are some phrases that I wrote down and I've added one to, actually. Here, here was me trying to encapsulate them, and this is what I'm going to talk about this morning on each of those. Enable a number, a growing number of people from all generations and backgrounds to connect with Jesus. Transform the north of Nottingham by pioneering community projects. Empower people through spirit-filled worship. Be a community where people enjoy being together and spiritually flourish. And be a community church with a kingdom vision. That's my attempt to say this is where, this is our aspiration. This is the journey that we're on with. God, if you will help us be this then I believe we're capturing something of your heart and your desire. And sometimes I think we're doing well with them, and sometimes I don't think we're doing so well with them, and we're on a journey. But, but, but I just wanted to reiterate those for us before we break for summer and speak to where some of my thoughts are. So the first one, enable a growing number of people from all generations and backgrounds to connect with Jesus. I love the story in John uh, chapter 3 where Nicodemus comes to see Jesus. You've got this religious man who's got questions about Jesus. So this one's about being saved and restored. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing were you not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. And then Jesus goes on, a bit more of a conversation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The, uh, I like the story because it, it, sometimes the Bible just throws in a little word or a little sentence which just enables us to understand the story so much more. Nicodemus came to see Jesus at night. He's having a private conversation. He's doing it in hiding. He's, he, he's, not, willing, he's not one of those people that's out there who are you, Jesus. He's saying, I've got questions. I've heard about you. I've seen some of the stuff you've done. But in the privacy of, uh, of where we find ourselves now, Jesus, I'd like to connect and talk to you. Uh, I'd love us to be a church where just more and more people who have the questions of life, of how on earth am I meant to parent in this place? Or, or what, what's my life about? Why have I done this job for 20 years and it feels totally pointless? Or... or Surely, I've got the house, I've got the kids, I've got the wife. What, what, what's, what's my life truly about? I'd love us to be a church where people that are asking those questions 
uh, in the privacy of their own thoughts, I guess, are willing to connect with us and investigate Jesus a little bit more. For us, we're not called to focus just on young people or just on old people, not just rich people or not just poor people, not people that are either white, black or brown. You know, there's, there's a sense in which one of the greatest joys of running the church over the years for me is seeing us become a truly multi-generational, multi-ethnic church. It's been an absolute joy that, that we're here placed in this part of Nottingham with a desire to to be representative of all the people in our area. And so for me, it's really exciting that uh, the thought is that anybody who's genuinely got questions could come in here, talk to one of us, form a relationship with you, and then get their questions answered about what is the true purpose of life. You see, lost people, any church that forgets this is is either going to die slowly or die quickly. But lost people are the highest priority to God. They really matter to him. Look at the parables, it's really clear, isn't it? Whether you talk about the lost sheep, the lost coin or the lost son, the emphasis is over and over again. Leave the 99, find the one. Clear the house to find the one welcome the prodigal home from whatever they've been doing you know I find it fascinating that the scriptures use really emotive words don't they for people who don't yet know Jesus we'll talk about them being lost we'll talk about them being dead speaking of spiritually dead we'll talk about them being condemned in darkness gosh heavy words in our world isn't it it sort of impacts our western sensitivities I'll come back to the lostness at the end of my talk. But why such strong words in the scriptures? I think, I think there's two things we need to remember. One, God really wants people to know his love. It matters. It's not just another bit of church, whether those that aren't yet saved come into church. This is a major reason why we're here. For our doors to be wide open. For the invite to be clear. For anybody and everybody whatever their age, whatever their background, whatever their socioeconomic situation, God wants them to know him. He longs to bless them. And the second thing, I think the words are so emotive because these are for us, aren't they, is to remind us, if it matters to God, it should matter to us. It should matter to us whether we're sharing our faith. I had a friend who was a church minister, as a friend who's a church minister, and he'd got to know this person who'd become a Christian, and they invited uh, him out with their work colleagues, and uh, with a clear expectation that he, as the church minister, would tell their friends all about Jesus. And, and he only realised this when he was out there, you know, in the pub, in the discussion. And he realised, and the friend realised pretty quickly, they were much better than him at sharing Jesus with their friends than he was. He's got no problem sharing Jesus, but he's not got the relationship with the people around the table. They have. And so I think when I talk about the church wanting to seek and save the lost, I think we're capturing the heart of God. And I think each of us as individuals come to Jesus and ask him, what's my part to play in this? 
I find it fascinating. Jesus says, you know, the fields are wide harvest. They're ready to harvest. There's people out there that are ready to be harvested. And in our culture, sometimes you ask the question, gosh, is there really? You know, are, are people really that bothered? And again, I've traveled and I've been in other cultures where spiritual conversations just flow much more freely. Whereas here, it seems to be barriers. But Jesus says, no, no, no. The fields are wide to harvest. And then he says, open your eyes. And I think what he's saying to his followers, me, you, is I've placed you in situations and there's people around your life. And if you'd open your eyes, build relationship, share life, share faith, there will be the opportunity to share Jesus. And I think if we bury the reality of why we're here, to see lost people come to know Jesus and be born again, I think we will struggle as a church. We mustn't force our beliefs on anybody. We must love for love's sake, not just to present a gospel story, but God will have placed people around us that need him. I was, Gary and Tina are working with Paul Trainer and have started a, like a, a church service for the homeless in Nottingham on Friday. And there was about 10 people there for the first one. And so there's some worship, Paul trainer was preaching and then there's some food and so you've got people there some know Jesus some don't know Jesus it's just a really incredibly special place when those that are followers of Christ are truly sharing lives with those that want to know more there's something really special about it I want us to be a church you to be an individual that's in those conversations sharing your faith in a way that maybe sometimes feels a little clunky, but has the opportunity to offer eternal life to people. How do we do this? I think we go away, we talk to the Lord and say, give me opportunities. Don't let me rest. Empower people through spirit-filled worship, seekers of God's presence. As Moses was in the tent of meeting, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they stood there and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his younger assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Joshua just wanted to be around the presence of God. He was willing to linger. He was willing to go beyond a momentary encounter and say I'll stay here a little bit more Lord thank you I truly want intimacy with you there is a deep yearning in my heart for the people of God to carry the presence of God I've said this before but I've been around too many settings where uh, people just get too weird about being filled with the spirit or being baptised in the Holy Spirit. There's just too much weirdness about it. It should be the most ordinary experience for the Christian there is. We're built to be temples of the Holy Spirit. We're built to be filled with him. I think we're called to be a spirit-filled church that isn't chasing goosebump experiences that leave people detached from reality. But there's something about wanting to be a spirit-filled people, seekers of intimacy with God in the, myth, in the mess and the midst of our ordinary lives.
something authentic about truly connecting with him. You know, we do expect a divine encounter to impact our emotions. Will involve many people speaking in tongues. Will at times even involve a spiritual response. But this deeply personal encounter that we're trying to build into our church gatherings more and more and more is to facilitate us to carry his presence into the very ordinariness of your lives and my life. I don't know about you or how it works for you that I think of my week ahead and I think I've got a couple of tricky meetings. Thankfully, nothing to do with you lot. And then I think, God, my experience will take me so far. My knowledge and understanding of people is a real asset. But there's a gap between that, what I am, and what I believe you would want to be in that, me to be in that situation. And I think that gap is filled as I experience and filled with the presence of God. I can receive something here, I don't just mean here, in our own personal prayer and worship, in our gatherings in smaller settings, but I can receive something of his presence afresh that fills that gap in that setting. And so you might say to me, what are you just talking about church? I remember vividly sitting in receptions when I would be there representing my company and I knew they'd be like, we might be negotiating a million pound deal, I'm doing my bit of the presentation, I'd be sitting in the reception place praying just in my own heart, God, what's expected of me here is beyond me. Will you fill me with your spirit? Will you be that gap? Will you be more than I can be? I ask for your favour. Spirit-filled worship, I believe, empowers us for our ordinary lives. We, we sing a song sometimes, I don't know if it's on the new list or not, but Met by Love. And when we started singing it, Rachel and myself had a bit of a dialogue, uh, and there's a phrase in it where it says, we see your face. And so Rachel messaged me and said, okay, let's just talk about that, because in Exodus it says, there's a verse that says, nobody will see the face of God and live. Yet clearly in Exodus, Moses did see the face of God. And then, so we had a bit of a to and a fro. Should we say seek or see your face? And then ultimately, uh, I'd said to her that I think it all changed with Jesus. So we can sing that. Thing. So we had, we had a bit of that dialogue. And then I thought, oh, I'll just check out my thinking. So I, I emailed Ben. Uh, and I said, you know, our, our resident theologian, are we okay singing this, Ben, from, from your perspective? And Ben replied back, I don't know if Ben could re remember his response to me, but again, it just made me chuckle, so I thought I'd share it. The, uh, and Ben messaged back and said, no, no, we're fine singing that song as far as he's concerned. But the line before it says, because every time we worship, we see your face. And Ben messaged back and said, well, I'm not sure I can say that. You know, that, because not every, let's not kid ourselves. I'm not, I'm not living in a world here where, as soon as a few chords are played, suddenly we're in a place of ecstatic, transcendent, heavenly joy, you know, of, of sort of mysticism and weirdness, like our brains are on a cloud. Are you with me? I, I wanted to talk about the gritty reality. I, I want us to be a spirit-filled church, not so that we just enjoy our worship services, so that genuinely we receive something of his blessing and his presence that really makes a difference in our everyday life. Really makes a difference. 
And so whether that is in our jobs or our parenting or our marriages, there is a gap between what you can bring to the party and what a spirit-filled you can bring. And that's why for us it matters to keep dwelling in his presence. It really matters. So join with us. Say, God, we hunger and thirst for your presence. We need you. I heard the other day someone say, what we worship will consume us. Third one, community. It is not good for, it is not good for man to be alone. Be a community where enjoying being together and spiritually flourish. John Ortberg talks about Genesis chapter 1 and he makes a fascinating sort of comment. He's, he talks about in the, gener, in the uh, Genesis story, the earth was formed and then it says, and God saw that it was good. Then another time, the vegetation, day two, vegetation uh, is created and God saw that it was good. And then the sun, the moon and the stars and God saw that it was good. And then the birds and the sea creatures and animals. And it says again, and God saw that it was good. Then humanity, Adam is created. And then God says it was very good for the first time. But then we get to Genesis 2. And God, for the first time, makes a negative statement. It is not good for man to be alone. We might talk about this in a marriage context. and It's not totally uh, invalid, but it's not really what God's talking about. Because we know that Jesus himself never married and yet lived the most extraordinarily flourishing life. So it can't be that marriage is the destination that God is talking about here. It can't be. Otherwise Jesus would have been married. Paul wasn't married. So it's not a marriage coming. It's just it's a community verse. It's not good for man or woman to be alone. Press, uh, professor of evolutionary psychology at Oxford University has studied male friendships at length. He says uh, that we're in the middle of a friendship recession. And while this decline is happening with both sexes, it's happening faster with men. I hate the thought of people being alone in our midst. It is an emergency if people are in our gatherings and nobody's talking to them. We should be an incredibly warm, friendly community of people willing to make friendships across generations with people who aren't like us, with people with different backgrounds. Because Christ is the focal point of our lives. We can relate to each other. Not everybody's going to be best friends. That's not what I'm talking about. But everybody can form solid friendships in a community of this size. Society always tries, if you take God out of it, society will always try and correct these yearnings or answer these yearnings in ways that don't satisfy. What else is the hookup culture about in today's world? It's not good for man to be alone. There's a yearning in our hearts, whether we're an introvert or whether we're an extrovert, whether we want to be in a room of 50 people or two people. It doesn't bother me. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for us to be a church where people might feel lonely. Arrange a walk in the park with somebody over the summer. Share a meal. Invite someone around that you don't know so well. Have a coffee if you're not keen on cooking. Say hi to a new person at church. 
Can we just be an open-hearted church? If not, let's, let's find somewhere that is and learn from them. I believe we are a friendly, welcoming church, but it just matters so much to God, I believe. May our welcome make us us. Impact our community. Transform the north of Nottingham by pioneering community projects. Words of Jesus, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will ask him, Lord, when did we see you hungry uh, and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes to clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least one of these, of your brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I like the Tim Keller quote at the bottom of the screen there. If you and your church were to disappear off the face of the earth tomorrow, would anyone in the community around uh, you notice you were gone? For those of us that are in leadership, that should keep us awake at night. Because how many churches, if, if they close the door, would the community actually really notice? It's got to be about more than us. That's why we run a community centre. Not just look for a building for ourselves, it's just the way we're wired a little bit. It's why over the summer I'm so thrilled that Gary and Tina are going to feed people that are struggling with the cost of living crisis. This matters to us. why fostering and adoption is something we'll keep going on about. It's why I've been a school governor for 20 years now. Any of you who've been a school governor know it's not the most exhilarating thing to do in your life. But in some way I want to make an impact in the community in which I live. When my, uh, one of my work colleagues, I, I finished work 20 years ago, one of my work colleagues retired this week He's changed jobs since then. He's been a teacher for 16 years himself. Anyway, he retired from teaching this week, so I phoned him up and said, well done for making it to retirement with your some faculties still intact, which he was reasonably appreciative of, I think. And uh, got me thinking about when I left work, we worked together back that time, we've, we've stayed in contact. And They used to say to me, my work colleagues did, uh, tell us a bit about your church. It was, it was known in my workplace. I was working part-time, church and work then. So people were interested and I'd try and explain, you know, 100 people in a school hall and that sort of stuff. And, and from the world we were in, which was identified around big contracts, plenty of travel, uh, success was a key part of our identity in theory and all that type of stuff. Uh, if I'd have just said to them, well, I feel called by God to lead a church, they'd have sort of understood the vocational element, but that wasn't going to help. So I struggled for quite a while to try and explain to them why I was giving up work, because they wanted to know why I didn't just carry on doing part-time both. But I wanted to try and explain to them, well, why, why do I feel God wants me to make this decision uh, in a way that connects with them? So it took me quite a while to come up with the answer, really. So we were just, well, why are you doing this? What's it about? Uh, are you going to be a bishop someday, they used to ask me. Is your aspiration to be a bishop? You really don't get it, you know. I know they, no, it isn't, and no, I never will be. You know, that's the, uh, that wouldn't be happening. Do you think you'll go and move to a bigger church or a bigger city? No, I reckon I'm going to be in my town for a long time. 
And so it just, I couldn't quite get the answer. And then eventually I realized uh, what it helped me crystallize my thoughts. I said to them, just maybe, just maybe, if I invest my life and with a bunch of people in my church do the same and we invest our lives in our church, we might just transform a whole local community. We might just change the place we live if we invest our lives and give it to him. I think us wanting to be more than what just this is, impacting people that are never going to come through those doors. We want many too, but people that are never going to follow our faith, we want to bless them anyway. I think it really matters to us. A kingdom, a community church with a kingdom vision. I've added this one since I last spoke to you about this a couple of years ago. Gosh, I'm committed to local church. I've done this for a long time now. I think you could cut me open and I'd bleed community church. You know, it, this is what I believe we should be doing, knowing each other, sharing life with one another. Those of you with young kids, allowing them fall out with one another and patching back up the relationships with one again and irritating one another at some times and learning how to say sorry. And You know, community church, not just being strangers in a room, really matters to me and yet if that is all that's in our hearts I think we've missed the point Jesus prayed your kingdom come I think a kingdom heart is what God expects of us God isn't wanting to bless us in isolation God is on with something much bigger than that I think it's a wrong way for any church to think God wants to do his stuff his kingdom stuff and we get to play our small part in that. There's other churches in the city doing a great job. There's other churches in our community doing a great job. Let's not kid ourselves that this is the kingdom of God. We're a slither of the kingdom of God. Because what's in my heart is more than this. Calvary deserves more than this. And so the question we ask ourselves is how do we, how do we play our part in the kingdom work that God is doing. We pray for other churches and bless them. We cheer them on when they have successes. When we hear stories of their growth and answers to prayers, we're the first in the line to say, God might not have done that for us, but he's done it for you, so hallelujah. You're our brothers and sisters, we praise you. With a kingdom mindset that really matters. And practically for us, that's why we're part of a network of churches. That's why I'm so committed to Nottingham City Prayer. God is on with more than us. And therefore, if we can engage with that, I believe we will catch his heart even more and more. That's why we're so committed to stuffing Ghana at the King's Village. A local church that I'm passionate about with a kingdom vision. Let me come back as I conclude. If the band want to come back. Back to this phrase, lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. You might find this a really tricky thought. Think about family members for a moment. Think about friends of yours. Maybe think about the neighbours that you know a little bit but not so well. Just imagine if you went and knocked on the door today and said, by the way, you're lost. Won't go down so well, I suspect. But if we think about it a little bit more, this phrase lost 
Jesus came to seek and save the lost isn't an attacking phrase or an offensive phrase at all, I don't believe. What an amazing ringtone. You see, being lost isn't an attack on somebody's identity. It just means we're lost. For me, I was lost and didn't know I was lost. But then I found a few people who were found and I realised I wanted to be found. It's not an attack on who the identity of the person is. They're just lost. But even better, this word lost means that we do actually have a home. There is a spiritual home for everybody. And if we can connect with lost people and help them find that spiritual home, I believe God will mightily bless them and bless us. if you stand with me. I'm just going to pray for our community a moment. Lord, I thank you that we get the chance to meet Sunday after Sunday and that's wonderful. But Lord, I pray that as a church one of the things that will make us us is a deep passion and desire to help all those around us know that they're of immeasurable worth to you, Lord. May there be something about our communication, something about the way we carry ourselves, something about your spirit on us that helps people know that they're incredibly precious to God and that they can come home to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to pursue lost people until the end of their lives. Everyone matters to you. And Lord, even as people reject you, you will keep pursuing them because your love is so strong, so furious and so determined. Spirit of God, I pray we will be a church with open eyes, determined to connect with lost people, to introduce them to you. Jesus' name. Let's worship for a moment.